Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sounds. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to Sound. Sound matters. <laughs> Hi, my name is Tim Hinman, and you are listening to Sound Matters. Brought to you by B&O Play. Now, I know you walk around every day and are pretty sure that you know what it sounds like, what the world sounds like. You've got two ears, one stuck on each side of your head, and you think you've got this whole listening thing pretty much down to a fine art. Not much to it, really. You can tell the difference between pretty much everything without even thinking about it. You know what everything sounds like. Well, actually, no, you don't. Because most of what happens in the world happens where people can't stick their ears. But since the invention of the microphone, it's become possible to hear things that humans have never heard before. And that voyage of discovery is ongoing. Now, steady on, I hear you say. How dare you say I don't know what the world sounds like? Well, I can try and prove it to you. I'll give you a little test. Here's an animal. An animal you probably know very well. It's not a very strange animal. It's an animal that lives in the water, especially in cold places. But I'm not going to tell you what kind of animal it is. In fact, I'm going to make you wait all the way to the end of this program before I let the person who recorded this sound tell you what the animal is. So here is that animal. Have a listen. person who made that recording is Jana Winderin. Okay, yeah, who am I? Um... She's a sound artist. She's from Oslo in Norway. My name is Jana Winderin. Um, I am currently living in Oslo. Jana lives and is based in Oslo, but she gets around. I travel quite a lot all over the world. Uh, Greenland, Asia, Russia... <laughs> in the forest of Russia, uh, but also in around the Caribbean. I've been listening to uh, different coral reefs. Before we find out exactly what Jan has been doing traveling around the world, it's time to meet our next guest, Chris Watson. Uh, my name's Chris Watson, and I'm a sound recordist. Chris also gets around a bit. I've done as much traveling on, well, on this planet that I could do. I went to the South Pole. This is certainly the remotest landscape I have ever been recording in. Five months later, I was at the other end of the planet, at the North Pole, staying at the Russian ice camp Barneo, and then being flown in this ancient Russian military helicopter, the last 60 nautical miles, the last degree from 89 degrees north to 90 degrees north, and stood and recorded at the North Pole. This is probably as quiet as it gets on this planet. The reason both Jana and Chris spend their time travelling around the world recording sound is that they are both sound artists. The recordings that they make are used to create compositions, which are often presented as performances or installations, even released as music tracks. The idea of recording sounds from the natural world, or landscapes, or whatever it is, 
is often called field recording. Field recording is going out really, and I mean listening to whatever environment and then recording what you hear uh, in any kind of environment, uh, in the forest or by the sea, but also you know in in your backyard garden or uh, you know inside of your house. I would call field recording in that sense, yeah. I was unable to join Jana on one of her trips around the Caribbean recording the sound of coral reefs, and I was unable to meet Chris Watson at the North Pole, unfortunately. But I did manage to meet Chris Watson in my local park. We've got a few elements that... Um, it's a kind of nature expedition. There's probably owls in here as well. Just not a very dangerous one. And also, it's a good acoustic here because we're in a massive square, aren't we? What would you do when you walk around the park with Chris Watson? And, and make something of the experience. Well, you open your ears and you listen, of course. Where we are now, it's great because you have that very distant skyline, that distant ambient sounds. You know, sirens, the sort of wings of pigeons and gulls overhead, people on the gravel. It's a low dynamic, but it's a... It's not certainly not silence, but it's the sort of ambience where you can come up, you know, people come here and relax, but they also come here and think, you know, not block things out, but come and open your ears. So, with suitably opened ears, it's thinking time. We'll bombard ourselves with, with noise, music and sound all the time. You go into a shop, they're playing music. You ring your bank and they play music down the phone to you. You know, it's everywhere, and it, and it's noise. It's intrusive element into our lives, so we spend most of our time shutting out sounds like that. You know, we hear everything, but we rarely listen. Of all the people I've met during the making of this series who work consciously with sound and music and sound art or whatever. It's often a childhood experience or a desire to get back to something they remember from their childhood that starts an artistic process or a thought process of some sort. I grew up around uh, the largest lake in Norway, which was at the time dying from algae overgrowth. So it really started my sort of engagement with how we are treating the planet. I mean, this was the early 70s. I remember at points there was no seagulls. It was a year, sometime in the 80s. There was like hardly any seagulls and that was really scary. You know, it was so quiet. So, and that made a big impression on me. It was a move to noisy southeast London and an art school that got Jana Winderin into the idea of making art with sound. I started with wanting to create a more kind of not silence, but quiet resting place kind of thing. So it's an absence of all the traffic sounds that were outside and, you know, all the talking and all that. I wanted to kind of create a kind of more silent place. Chris's childhood beginnings started with a gift from his mum and dad. I was, I was given a portable tape recorder by my parents when I was about 11 or 12, a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. And when I'd investigated all the sounds in the house, squeaking doors and the refrigerator and family pets and uh, the voice of my mother and my father and just the sounds around the house, I realised it had batteries in it so I could take it outside and that was a real moment of discovery. 
and uh, and I was fascinated by being able to record outside and then come and play the sounds back and it was a, a whole world that was literally opened up to myself and my ears when I sort of time shifted and played those sounds back. Chris's early experiments recording the birds on the bird table by leaving his tape recorder there led to a deeper and deeper fascination with the whole idea of tape recorders. I really wanted to investigate the creative potential of, of tape recorders as they were then, reel-to-reel tape recorders, because they were great, beautiful sort of sculptural devices, but you know, could process things electronically and, and transform everyday sounds as well. I was interested in going out and recording sounds and then working with them, editing, cut and splice, you know, that, that kind of stuff. A moment of discovery, realising that a bit of cut and splice is a great way to make music. People used these devices to create music and to compose with, not simply to document sounds. So that got me interested in music concrete and electronic music, and I was in a band for a few years uh, called Cabaret Voltaire. But one of the easiest routes to expression for you know, a group of late teenagers in the 1970s was music. We could see a route to picking up instruments and guitars and keyboards and synthesizers and tape recorders, in my case, and creating music from that. Chris wasn't really interested in being a pop star, though. He was interested in sound, in sound recording, in making something out of the sound. And in order to do so, he figured out it might be a good idea to learn how to do it properly. I left Cabaret Voltaire, went to work in film sound. That was a way into working creatively with sound outside the music industry. And what interested me was film and film sound, and also wildlife and natural history. So I wanted to find a way into that. In the early 1980s, there was no courses, there was no way into it, apart from working in television, so that's what I did. The TV Chris went to work for was the BBC, of course. You've probably heard a lot of his work on a lot of those big-budget BBC nature documentaries that always seem to be on TV every Sunday afternoon. I needed to know how to do it before I went off and, and did what I wanted to do. You know, you needed to get that experience and find out you know, the nuts and bolts and mechanics and sprockets, you know, of, of, that, um, of that world before I then, you know, moved off and engaged with what I was wanting to do. So it was a necessary part of my work and it was, it was interesting, but yeah. But then do what I do now, get outside, you know, I get the greatest pleasure being on my own, <laughs> working on my own, but then coming back into a, you know, more sort of shared environment playing it or, or broadcasting it or presenting it. Getting out of the studio to do your work, out and about in the real world with a microphone, that's the way to do it. When I was working with sound in the studio, with my computer and with speakers around, it kind of all started to sound the same and I became really bored, I fell asleep. It was like, this is really not how I want to work with sound. So I decided that point, I mean this is many years ago now, that I wanted to go out and find those really really small sounds you know, like a, a little worm eating a leaf, you know or, uh, you know, these kind of really small things that we don't notice and, and listen to them and try to make the best recordings I could to present I wasn't really aware of it when I started recording, I wasn't really kind of thinking of 
that I'm now going to do field recording, where it's like, this is, I'm not going out. It wasn't really, I just wanted to kind of, to, to fo- have some focused listening. And I sort of started to work with the sound and also kind of, rather kind of sculpt with sound. That sound sculpture can sound like this. This is from one of Jana's compositions called Wanderer. Instead of using a material that is kind of taking up space and becoming an object that you have to carry around, I wanted to kind of create a situation, an openness for associations for people, something that wouldn't kind of be any desirable object, but something that would be in people's memory. If my memory serves me right, it was about 15 years ago that I first heard one of Chris's recordings for the first time, and I never forgot it. It was this sound. It's the sound of a sleeping cheetah, a big cat, recorded somewhere out on the African savannah. I'm very interested in, in close perspective sound. Cameras can reach places that gun microphones can't. So I devised a system of using small personal microphones and, and planting those in places and running very long cables back. So I was putting microphones in places where you wouldn't be able to or wouldn't want to put your ears, but then extracting very close perspective sounds. Particularly in the animal world, we would af- affect the behaviour. So standing there holding a microphone, nothing's going to come close to you, but planting a microphone, a small, a tiny one, camouflaging it, disguising it, running a cable back and letting everything settle down around the microphone. It's time-consuming, but very rewarding. Of course, we can't just walk into the close company of animals and expect them to make nice sounds for us when we point a microphone at them. And putting your ears a few centimetres from a sleeping cheetah to hear its breathing would be unwise. But the resulting recordings are, of course, unique in that they become sounds no human has ever heard before. I realised that some of those sounds, when you heard them from that perspective, it was the images, it was the pictures that became redundant. Because I'm a great supporter of the cliché that radio's better than television because the pictures are better, you know, because it fires our imagination. You don't need an image, a two or even these days three-dimensional image. Sound is powerful enough to overcome that. And our imaginations are far better than any high-definition image. Well, we could put that to the test, I suppose. Try listening to this recording. It's from Chris Watson's CD called Weather Report. It's an audio portrait of a Scottish Highland landscape.
It was an underwater listening experience using hydrophones, which, if you didn't know, are microphones that you can use underwater, that really amazed Jana Windrin for the first time and made her realize that there's an entire world of sound that's hardly even been explored under the waves. I was following the meltwater of the glacier Folgefonna, um, and um, I went to the Marine Institute uh, to, <laughs> to listen to them to the sound of cod, listening to it in the wild. There's something I will never forget, that kind of sensation, or just like, wow, shit, this is just a really <laughs> wild cod, and I can hear it, and I, I can actually listen to where the fish are. And it felt like a really kind of unique thing. From the revelations of amazing Norwegian cod, to sounds like this. These are toadfish and dolphins swimming around a coral reef in Belize, recorded by Jana Winderin, of course. And then I kind of really started to think about how I could use these hydrophones in ice, you know, or in sand, in mud, inside of trees. So a whole, this, I think, was a really kind of ear-opener for me in that sense, that you can really start to listen in different ways than with a normal, normal microphone. Hmm. Making recordings in places where people can't put their ears. Making recordings of places where people cannot even fit inside a tree, for example, is all very well. It's the work of a field recordist, of a nature sound recordist. But if it's to be the work of a sound artist, then you have to do something with these recordings. So what do you do? I hear what I do now as music in the same way that when I was 18, 19, working with Cabaret Voltaire, I see no difference, I hear no difference to, to my ears. Compositions and soundscapes as music. But if it's to sound good and be amazing, just as amazing as it was for the person who recorded it, it's all about how and where you listen. A lot of people consume music via you know, these ghastly MP3 files through tiny headphones downloaded onto the computer and playing out of you know, speakers a centimetre across. So it's no wonder you don't listen to it because it's not very good. So when it's, when it's presented properly and people get the chance and the opportunity of listening to sounds you know, in an environment that's comfortable, like the cinema, you know, it's a great environment to do it. Big comfy seats, warm, you know, raked auditorium, decent sound system. For an installation, I, I try to kind of be there in good time, at least having two or three days to work with the sound inside of the space. And then I would have, say, for anything like four to hundred speakers, depending on the situation, and, and make the piece accordingly. You need to compose with the space. I, um, so <laughs> it's important. If you don't happen to have your own cinema or a hundred speakers to set up in a sound installation, you can always just slip on your headphones and drift away.
that experience of listening is innate in us all. We're all good listeners. These days, I think with all the other challenges and stimulations, um, and from my experience, you just need to put people in the right environment and then they'll listen. They'll give you their time, which is, which is very precious these days. It'll take them somewhere else, like any good piece of music. So it's all to do with immersing yourself in sound. And that gives us new experience. I did an installation in the Park Avenue Tunnel in New York uh, a couple of years ago now, which was this really long car tunnel. And um, we placed the groups of ten, I mean eight speakers and two subs in eight sections all through the tunnel with different underwater um, compositions from different underwater environments. That's, and, and my thoughts were then that you, go, you went further in and you went deeper in and it got darker and then you sort of went out again. So you sort of dove in, dive, it was called dive, into the ocean and uh, it was kind of walking through different underwater sound environments. Sound can both create and immerse you in a kind of total sensory experience. For the artists, it's very often about trying to recreate that sheer sense of wonder involved when discovering something, when hearing something for the first time. There's a few kind of experiences where I met people out in the field, you know, by a river or somebody in the boat I've been in and, put, and then they put the headphones on and listen to the sounds I'm listening to. Uh, whether that's a fish or if it's an orca or just the underwater insects, the, fa the faces of the people. And they, you see that they kind of experience something they just haven't heard before ever. And it's like, wow, and that expression in the people's faces. <laughs> that's when I'm thinking, yes, you know, this is like totally worth it. It's pretty easy for anyone to try. You can sit in a park. You can close your eyes and maybe just listen. I think because people will engage with it because it's not some vague artistic whim. You know, we, we soak up sounds like that because it's a useful part of our makeup and our, our psychology. You know, sound strikes directly into our hearts and imagination like probably no other sense, so it's incredibly powerful. I think it's also a question of, you know, just also getting used to think about it and not, not necessarily making it difficult, because it's like listening all around you, like we do all the time, you know. You could also sit down on the bench and just close your eyes and start to listen to what's around you, you know you become more aware of the sounds around you and I can hear, you know, sounds that people are not necessarily noticing and I can say, oh, listen to that. And then they, oh yeah, you know. We 
Now it's time to reveal the identity of the animal making the sound I played for you at the beginning of the show. The creature in question, well, I'll let Jana explain. I totally was so surprised. It was in May this year, no, no, last year, where I was up in the Arctic and I was expecting to hear the crackling of ice because we were close by a glacier where it was carving into the water. So I knew that sound would be there, but I was not prepared for the sort of dropping tone. It was this kind of really, really, really long, long, long tone, high pitched to dropped and dropped and dropped. Fantastic sound. Uh, and I realised it was the bearded seal because it stopped and it appeared and looked right at me. You know, it was very close. Yes, it was a bearded seal making that noise. I totally was so surprised. I think just to be able to continue to explore like I do and, and go around and listen, that's the exciting thing every time I go out. And that is all we've got time for in this edition of Sound Matters. So I'd like to thank Jana Winderin, of course, for allowing me to interview her and use some of her incredible sound recordings. You can hear more of those and find out a lot more about her and her work if you visit her website, which is quite simply janawinderen.com. That's Jana with a J. Thanks also to Chris Watson for taking the time to walk around the park with me. You can find his website at chriswatson.net. And that's also a great place to check out a lot of his other work and find out what he's up to these days. This edition of Sound Matters was written, recorded and edited by me. My name is Tim Hinman. Editorial, moral and other support from Andrea Rangecroft. Executive editorial and moral support from Nathan Budzinski. This podcast is made possible by B&O Play and you can find out much more about them on their website, which is bandoplay.com. That's B-E-O-Play.com. People will do it. If you give them the chance, they will listen and they'll engage in it in quite a meaningful way, you know, and, and it becomes then quite a creative experience. Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favourite sound, I think. Sounds. Sound. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to sound. Sound matters.